Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 4, episode 11. Embers. Bill the dog could sense concern. He could smell worry, tinge with the need for action. It was time to move. His right hip ached a bit from the effort of chasing down and disarming the kids. The pain was new to Bill. It started after climbing through that window. Bill was made for action, but windows and hard tile floors were not in his training. Bill wasn't a puppy anymore. Like all good dogs, he had little concept of time and no concept of getting old. His experiences yesterday just made him a better dog for today. There was no sense of tomorrow. There was only now. If there was anything that men could learn from dogs, it was to live in the moment. Carpe diem. The old man was rattling around the room, packing things into bags and stuffing a backpack. The dog knew his man was preparing for travel, to leave. Bill was uneasy. Sometimes the old man left Bill and went on alone, and Bill did not like to be left behind. Bill was driven by action and duty, duty to his man and the mission. Bill sat up tall and alert to the old man's every move. He could not lose this man. Bill had lost men. He had lost soldiers to war. He had lost partners to disease. He didn't like to lose them. He especially didn't want his man to leave him behind for the sake of convenience. It somehow offended Bill. If a dog could be offended, the thought of leaving your brother's soldiers behind like a broken ancient covenant older than both men and dogs. The old man muttered to himself as he rattled around the room. Some of the words Bill knew, like food and kids. Some he did not, like placental fluid and RNA immunogens. Bill shifted up out of his pose and trotted to the door. He positioned himself resolutely in front of it and set himself to wait. His intentions were clear. 
Bill was patient. Bill was steadfast. Bill would not be deterred. If the old man wanted to leave, he'd have to get past Bill to do it. Brent breathed in the pine-scented air. It was a beautiful morning and was poised to turn into a beautiful day. He had slept in an empty dormitory room at the campus. He was there in preparation for the general's recruitment presentation. Brent was at the college campus ahead of the general, ironing out the details of the meeting. Everything had been made ready for the general to meet these communities on their own ground tonight. The general would make his pitch, and they would join, or they would not. Brent had done what he could do. The planet would keep spinning either way, and Brent would still be getting up at sunrise to get his run in. Brent leaned against the doorframe and stretched into the beautiful morning. These are indeed strange times. He thought, the world has gone to hell, and I'm feeling grateful for the sharp joy of a sunrise. What was it about humans? What unique quirk of their nature? Throughout history, they adapted to even the most horrific of situations. Disasters brought out the best in them. Maybe this was the proof of a divine spark that the wise men searched for. Humanity wasn't found in meditation or music or philosophical study or mind-altering drugs. Humanity was found in action and doing the right thing even when no one else was watching. Humanity was found in the teeth of a crisis. That's where humans found something deep within themselves and stepped forward. Life or death circumstances brought out the best and the worst in people. Brent felt peace and joy amidst all the death and decay of the apocalypse. Peace and joy of a bright new day. He shook his head and smiled. That was something purely human. Brent stretched, bounced on the balls of his feet, and took a deep breath of the sweet, dew-filled morning air. It smelled of wet grass. The birds made riot in the campus trees, catching insects for a new generation of chicks that would not feel the burden of the invasive crush of man. Brent jogged out to the campus path, his body warming to the motion, his feet rolling softly along the cracked asphalt. He had a slight ache in his right hip from the tightness of sitting cramped in the truck for hours the day before on the ride down. It would loosen up as he ran. It always did. His breathing started to ease as his heart and lungs woke up and acclimated to the effort. He could feel his 
body relax. The red-orange dawn faded to yellow morning sunshine and flooded the path from the east, painting his shadow long on the brick wall of an empty dormitory. He made his way through the campus to the perimeter road, where there was a nice walking path. He followed the path around the campus. After a few minutes, the path took him by the stadium. The stale smell of old death assaulted his senses. That was where they had stacked the bodies. In that arena was the old reality, stacked and rotted. Nothing now. A lingering bad smell. A jumbled pile of bones and greasy clothes. Brent pushed the thought of death away and picked up his pace, putting distance between himself and death and into the rising new sun of this beautiful day. Within a few minutes, ironically, he came upon the historic campus burial ground and entered the brick enclosure through the ornate wrought iron gate. Gravestones lined the gravel path. They threw rectangular fingers of shadows across the ground in the slanting sun. Some were no more than overgrown markers in the ground. Others were larger, more ornate with carved angels and decorations. He paused before one pink granite obelisk, gray-green with lichen on the north side, a southern cross of honor below the pyramidal apex. It was an old stone on an old plinth. Brent moved sideways into the ragged grass and positioned his shadow to remove the sun glare. His breathing slowed as he bent forward to read the inscription, Colonel Hezekiah P. Ralston, 1827-1894, Headmaster, and then below 19th Tennessee Infantry, Brent moved sideways again to read the italicized epitaph on the obverse of the obelisk. There, on the belly of the stone face, it read, Reader, in time prepare to follow me, as my path was, so thine will surely be. The mandate of my country I did obey, generals and soldiers, when called, must march away. Brent digested this thought. He smiled and said to the stone, You got that right, Colonel Ralston, old man. When our country calls, we go. He straightened up and surveyed the peaceful cemetery and decided to run the perimeter path before leaving. It was very peaceful. He was in a contemplative mood. The stillness and memorial weight of the place suited his thoughts. Brent saw old Hezekiah in his mind. He pictured the old man, bewhiskered and somber, in a gray suit, seated at a substantial wooden table, smoking a pipe. I, too, was called Hezekiah, Brent said in his mind. I, too, marched away. I faced death. I killed for my country. 
He imagined Hezekiah nodding and puffing thoughtfully and understanding. But, Brent continued, I left that life. I thought all that was done. I got back stateside. I took this out-of-the-way posting specifically to get away from Washington intrigues. I stepped back from service, from the politics of power. The imagined Hezekiah scowled knowingly at the mention of the Union's capital. I guess I grew up. I gave up. I don't know. Now the general is calling me again to save the country, I guess, and I don't know if it's the right path for me. Brent's feet made a light crunching sound on the crushed rock as he went. The wet morning air kept the dust from rising. His steps sounded hollow and somehow religious in the dew-heavy morning. The rhythmic footfalls carried a cadence like a prayer to the honored dead. There are so many dead. He imagined a deep, weary sadness in the old colonel's eyes. He imagined old Hezekiah counseling. We all die. You will die too. Death is part of life. The virus had spared Brent, but he would die. All men did. He would follow Hezekiah down the unknown path and follow all those poor souls stacked in the stadium. Brent asked the apparition in his mind if his time, his life, could have been better spent. Was it a worthy life to serve? Did it matter that Brent chose to serve his country rather than a wife and a house full of kids? Should he have regrets for the paths not taken? And what should he choose now when everything was changed and dead? He imagined old Hezekiah leaning forward, tapping his pipe and saying, "'Isn't every life a form of service?' A man must serve. He has no choice. Your duty is to choose a worthy way to serve. How could Brent know what to choose? How could he know the worthy thing? Brent stutter stepped to jump over a washout in the path. The spring storms had made a mess of the old burying ground. Ahead, one of the big trees had been blown over. Its roots pulled up a large, rough section of turf, and many of the nearby gravestones were knocked over, buried, or pushed aside by its great bulk. There was no one left to care for the graveyards. The cemetery keepers were dead. No one was left to sweep up the stones, to plant flowers on Memorial Day, or to hang wreaths for the holidays. No one was left to honor the dead. These expanses of stone and grass would revert to forest in a decade. The trees would grow up through the stones and topple them. Lives of service, buried in the forest and forgotten. Brent once more conjured the image of old Hezekiah and thought respectfully, "'Thank you for the wise counsel, sir.' 
The specter of Colonel Hezekiah P. Ralston nodded and faded. Brent exited the cemetery and ran back towards the center of the campus, lost in thought. What was his purpose in this dead world? How should he serve? The sun was up higher now as the morning broke. The shadow of a cloud passed over him and crawled up the side of one of the brick buildings. His senses alerted. He got the feeling he wasn't alone. He quieted his breathing and lightened his footfalls. As he rounded the corner of the next building, he was confronted by something that surprised him and stopped him in his tracks. At first, he thought it was an art installation, a statue, but then it, she, moved slowly, flowing into a new pose. She was clad in black yoga pants in a tight-fitting light black sweater. She was facing the sun and holding a pose that took strength and balance. With her back to him, her silhouette could have been mistaken for a statue. He was reminded of the marble goddesses, bronze nymphs and obsidian muses in the National Museum in Athens. The contrast to the shadows of his dark graveyard ruminations left him frozen and confused, like he had been transported to another unfamiliar dimension. In his confusion, he stopped and watched the woman stretch and transition from downward dog to a plank pose. He felt strangely out of place. The old visceral feelings that had been wired into men over a million years surged into his animal brain, and he needed to forcefully set them aside. He regained his composure as he had been trained to do, breathing and focusing. This was not something he had expected, but it fit somehow, extending the natural beauty of the morning. He cleared his throat audibly to let her know he was there. She flinched and turned her head to look at him, peering through the space under her planted arm, her hair hanging. She nodded in recognition and returned to her form. It was Mags. She must be here for the meeting. Good morning, Brent offered, smiling. Good morning. Mag said as she transitioned to a standing position and balanced on one leg, her hands to her heart. He had noticed her strength of character when they had met at the D.C., but he had not noticed her as a woman, and to be confronted now by her womanness knocked him out of his comfort zone. He stood mute and watched. He felt unbalanced. Mags finished her namaste, stood in the half-shadow of a tree, and looked at him. Can I help you, Captain? Brent reddened slightly, but did not look away. I'm sorry, ma'am. You caught me by surprise. Apparently. Brent remembered himself and was chagrined for being flustered, so he went on the offensive. 
I must say that I did not think this day could get any more beautiful. Mag raised an eyebrow at him. Captain Dominion, right? Brent? Yes, ma'am. Brent agreed, stepping forward with his hand extended after perfunctorily wiping it on his shorts. Was just out from a morning run. She nodded. I've been doing yoga in the mornings, trying to loosen up and regain strength as I'm recovering. She fell back into silence, unsure how to finish the topic. Is it helping, you think? Brent asked encouragingly. I think so, she said. God help me. I'm feeling pretty strong now. Doesn't hurt that I've lost 25 pounds since this mess started. She laughed self-consciously and smoothed the sweater with her hands, looking down, appraising, as if surprised by something. Well, ma'am, from where I'm standing, you're looking fit as a fiddle. He winked at her. He was feeling his oats now. Why the heck not? Brent thought to himself. It's not like anyone is around to care about a little flirting in the apocalypse. Why, Captain? Mag said, smiling. What are you up to? Are you hitting on me? We're just two people talking on a beautiful morning, Brent said, lifting his arms to include the sunny day. With everything that's happened, I had almost forgotten the good things, like this beautiful morning or the company of a lady. He continued. With so much death and darkness, it feels good, like something bright and shiny in the darkness, you know? Mags looked at him. He felt her weighing him. She laughed, breaking the moment. What are you playing at, Captain? Brent was still cheerful and playful, but a note of seriousness crept into his tone of voice as he replied, well, up until a few minutes ago, I was worried about the future. But now, I'm worried that I won't get to spend time with you. Brent was now worried that he overstepped, but he saw her body language had not changed. So he put his hand gently on her arm and asked, Seriously, ma'am, would you join me for coffee? Coffee sounds good. She replied, but stop calling me ma'am. Well, what should I call you? How about Margaret? Well, how about I meet you in the mess hall in 20 minutes, Margaret? Mags looked thoughtfully at him, darkened a bit as if a black cloud had passed. He waited as she turned her face into the warm morning sun, then smiled and said... Let's make it 25. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, survivors, and welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your holidays for those of you who celebrate them. I had an interesting couple of weeks besides having family staying with us, which is great, but also wreaks havoc on your routines. Besides that, the end of the year chase at my real job was very busy, and in an ironically apocalyptic event, we had a big tree fall on my house. Yep, the week before Christmas, a big storm rolled through, snapped off a large pine tree, and smashed my roof. So exciting times. But that is life, right? Would you have it any other way? Some feedback on Spotify. I got the feedback that I was talking too much, and I actually agree. So I'm going to keep today's missive short and sweet. And that's what I always say, right? Right before I start writing and it grows into a monster like a multi-headed hydra, or more appropriately, like the ever-expanding blob. So first up, what am I reading? So I got lots of new books for Christmas as gifts, so apparently people are getting the message. (laughs) But uh, in the downtime and the peaceful mornings of the past couple weeks, I have been reading my way through the first Scribner paperback edition of Ernest Hemingway, The Short Stories, the first 49 stories with a brief preface by the author. And I'm sure you can buy this used online for $4, but I probably picked it up at the local bookstore. I'm in a Hemingway phase, if you hadn't noticed. I have been enjoying the book. It's a good representation of the author across his career. You can see him working in these stories, trying to find that one perfect sentence. And the short stories, more than the novels... They're vehicles that the authors use for practicing their craft, and you can see that, and I find that very instructive. If you felt the burning need to categorize these stories in this book, they could be sorted into Africa stories, bullfighting stories, war stories, and Nick Adams stories. Of the first three, the African hunting, the matadors, and war The thing they have in common, what Hemingway is working at, is how the characters live or have lived on the edge of death and how it affects them. He is asking questions like, what is bravery and what is the meaning of redemption? And the dance with death produces cowards and brave men at the same time. And it could be said to be similar to our apocalypse work here in that we put characters in these situations on the edge and see what they become. Those stories are very interesting, but I particularly 
like the Nick Adams stories. So Nick Adams is a sort of autobiographical character that is a Midwestern American boy or young man of Hemingway's time. So now let me tell you a story. When I was in school, I had an assignment to read the Nick Adams story, Big Two-Hearted River, and write a report on it. So this is one of Hemingway's earliest stories. It was written in Paris in 1922 after the war. It's one of the works that defines him as something new, something fresh on the literary landscape of the time. So for my homework in this class, I read the story, but I also did what any good university slacker would do and read a professional literary review or two of Big Two-Hearted River to, you know, borrow some ideas. And I was astounded by how much metaphor and meaning they read into this simple story about a man on a fishing trip. And to me at the time, it was outlandish how much meaning they parsed out of the words. And this was the American literary love affair with Hemingway of the time. Reading this story again many years later now, I can still see the finely crafted message of redemption and how Hemingway uses imagery to tell this story and not exposition and not dialogue. And it's a finely crafted story. So if you're going to read a Hemingway story, that's a good one. Another story that I recognized in there was The Snows of Kilimanjaro, which is a very short story that somehow got made into a feature-length Hollywood movie. Such was the valuable cachet of Hemingway in the 1950s. If he cleared his throat, Hollywood would show up with an offer and make a movie. On to our next topic. What has Chris been watching? Well, this week... I watched a Keanu Reeves-directed movie called Man of Tai Chi from 2013, starring martial artist Tiger Chen. Well, Reeves plays the bad guy, and Tiger Chen plays Tiger Chen. And I don't know what Keanu was trying to accomplish with this movie, but it was awful. (laughs) There were some good fight scenes, but the plot was so obvious and predictable and repetitive that even the fighting becomes boring after a while. Half of the movie is in Chinese with subtitles. It kind of kind of follows the Enter the Dragon storyline, but it really misses the mark. I think it may have been made for a Chinese audience. Keanu casts himself as the villain, but his acting comes off just weird and wooden, so I would avoid this movie. And uh, you're welcome for saving you two hours of your life. And since I told you I would keep it short, I will. We are now on the downhill slope out of season four. And I am working with my editors this week to find a way out in the new year. If you want to contact me, you can through the show website, oldmanapocalypse.com or just shoot me an email at cyktrussell at gmail.com links are in the show notes we're up to 445 members in our Facebook group we are currently sharing holiday themed apocalyptic memes as we roll into 2024 we are entering the new year goal setting period time for us to refocus and prioritize what is important and I 
will be reprioritizing creating good content and serving you, my apocalyptic tribe. Make sure to inspect the walls of your bunkers and pack the chinks with mistletoe to keep the winter winds out. See? Only 973 words. Barely more than a page. Keep surviving. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.